Hello and welcome to Fragmenters, the most entertaining podcast that I've found where you get to have a conversation with business women who are enthusiastic about life, work, and money. We love building up other women and getting them ready for their new careers. Cause, 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 no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. And welcome back, my friends, to Fragmenters. Thank you so much for liking, subscribing, and reviewing this podcast. It really helps get our name out there, and not only our name, but the amazing information that all of these ladies have brought to the table. Speaking of ladies who have built their own seat at the table... (laughs) Today, we are going to talk to Susan Landers, who is a neonatal specialist and worked in the NICU. She's an author. She's a speaker. She's a mother. She just does it all. So welcome, Susan. Oh, thanks, Dean. I appreciate the invitation. I love the idea of your podcast. It's Thank still you. difficult for women to penetrate some of these male-dominated fields, and so we all need to together. I agree. One of my oldest friends, she was talking to me about career paths. They graduated this year and she was like, I really want to be a plastic surgeon, but I think I'm going to go into being a nurse. And Mm -hmm. I was like, Lindsay, if you want to be a plastic surgeon, be a plastic surgeon. What do you want? What do you want it for? And she said that she wanted to help people love themselves more. She's like, Mm. I can give people breasts after a double mastectomy. You know, there's some other things that you can go through, but essentially the entire thing is just helping people love themselves. And I want to be in medicine and that does both. And I was like, then do it. She's going into nursing and I really hope it fulfills her, but I just, I wanted her to pursue her dream (laughs) but she still could be a nurse practitioner and work for a plastic surgeon right she could get her rn which is a bs degree and then get a master's and then kind of be more like a doctor that way but you know when you're looking at the difference between nursing and medicine it is a much bigger time commitment so a a bn and and uh, a bs in nursing is four years Mm -hmm. And then there's some clinical orientation depending on what they specialize in. And so medicine is four years of graduate school after a BS degree, and then three to six years residency and fellowship training uh, before you specialize. I specialized in pediatrics. That was a three-year residency, and then uh, neonatology fellowship, another three years. And so it's a long haul. And for people who don't have financial support, who don't have a spouse that can support them, who don't have, you know, the loan opportunities, it, it really can make a difference because people coming out of medicine are in debt two hundred to $300,000 a year. Oof. When I left medical school, I had $69,000 in debt, and today's dollars is $251,000. So it's, it's a lot of money, but if you go into a specialty that's lucrative, you're going to make that money back and be able to pay back your loan. So right. it's all sort of a balance and um, making difficult choices. And sometimes women, I think, 
less so now than we used to be. Sometimes women are hesitant to make big financial leap without having a man involved or a partner or a relationship. I don't know how I dove in so deeply because I was single. I did not get married through medical school, residency, or fellowship. I did not get married until after I finished all my training. In fact, I thought, there's something wrong with me. I can't (laughs) seem to find a husband. What's the problem? And, you know, I was always one of those kind of bossy, pushy, opinionated women. And I loved being a subspecialist. I loved um, being highly trained. And I met my husband, and he was pretty much the opposite. He was a pediatric <laughs> nephrologist. He takes care of chronic kidney disease in children, and he's way more laid back. But he helped me kind of look at financial decisions better. I had always sort of dove in and said, I can do it, I can do it, I can handle it. And he was more of a put the brakes on. Now, let's think about this, you know, do you really want to buy that car or do you really want to pay that loan back in 10 years? How about 20 years? So women do tend to, speaking from experience, Mm -hmm. um, hesitate on some of those big decisions. And as we get more involved in male-dominated professions, that'll loosen up. Yep. That'll change. Because now 50% of medical school classes are made up of women. So things are definitely changing. There are lots of women in medicine now. Yes, that is the goal. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And lots of men in nursing. I think that's kind of interesting because I've worked with lots of male nurses and they're pretty self-secure and pretty, uh, they like being a nurse, but they've made that decision again because it's a quicker training program. It's less of a financial risk and they can get out and make money sooner. Right. So yeah, medicine is tricky in that way. You don't make money right away. So your residencies, you're not paid for? You're paid a little. It's like enough to live on. It's not enough to buy a house or buy a car. It's enough to pay rent and groceries. And, you know, a lot of people, I, you know, I'm not quite sure I made $12,000 a year as an intern. I think that residents are making thirty to 40000 So, so it's enough that? to get you through school. Yeah, kind of like a school teacher, maybe mm-hmm. an inexperienced school teacher. I'm not sure. And fellows are probably uh, make more like forty to 50000 But So it's enough money but, to get you through, but it's not enough to, to plan or buy a house or anything like that. So Right. So you said you don't know how you kept pushing through, but what got you into medicine in the first place? I had a mentor in high school, had a summer job working in medical records at a community hospital, and she was a master's level medical librarian. And she uh, encouraged me to take aptitude tests. And when the aptitude test I took at my college said I should be a PE teacher or a nurse, she said, is that what you want to do? And I said, no, I want to be a doctor. But you know, I don't know anything about being a doctor. And she said, well, you know, you could do it. All you have to do is put your mind to it. The next year, so I worked with her about four months, one summer, the next year, she got me a job working as a scrub tech in the surgery unit at the same general hospital. And I fell in love with medicine. And it was her encouragement, her mentorship that pushed me, that gave me the encouragement to do what I really wanted to do. 
When I started med school, there were 18 women in a class of 160. Wow. So just a little more than 10%. And, you know, we kind of got looked at like we were strange, you know, who are these women thinking they can go into medicine? And things are real different now, thank goodness. But women do still have to carve their own way. They have to convince people that they're serious. Yeah. And you've seen it from going, you said a little over 10%. Now we're at 50%. So you've seen a giant leap in that. So it's. Yes. Now, one thing that's happening in medicine. Yeah, it's a good thing. The only caveat to that is that a lot of women who are in pediatric family practice, internal medicine, especially Mm -hmm. finish their residency training, set up practice, and then decide I really don't like this five-day-a-week grind. Depends on the specialty. And they're having children, and they pull back to Mm part-time, two or three days a week, which they're usually married, their spouse is making money, so they can stay afloat and have more time to be a mom. And they tell me, I have lots of friends that did that, younger friends, that they love it because they're not so overworked but they do feel like they're really contributing. They're seeing patients. They're working three days a week, 10 or 12 hour days and making plenty of money, but they're not killing themselves. When I was their age, I was working 50 or 60 hours a week with small children, paying a nanny to look after my kids. And so in retrospect, maybe what they're doing now is smarter than what I did. Maybe women who choose to go part-time for good reasons, having more time as a mother, caregiving a special needs child or whatever. Maybe they're making good decisions. Maybe they'll be better doctors. We don't know yet. Right. We don't, we don't know whether the part-timers are making a better contribution than the full-timers. We just know that they're not getting burned out as much as the full-timers. I can only imagine working 50 to 60 hours. And were you married when you had your young kids? I was. I got married right out of fellowship and had a baby right away and had three kids under the age of seven time I was 40. So I had my last baby when I was 40. That's the other thing women, uh, we might want to chat about, women who are going into professions, especially medicine, those that take a lot of training, they tend to defer childbearing. And that tends to increase the incidence of infertility. And a lot of women, I was lucky it didn't happen to me. A lot of women at 34, 35, 36 decide, okay, I'm finished with my training. My practice has started. I want to start having a baby. And they have trouble having a baby. So many women are making the choice to go ahead and have children while they're training because of that risk of infertility associated with older maternal age. And it's uh, it's hard. They're having a hard time. It's really hard to have a baby, be pregnant, have a maternity leave, be a mom while you're training. It is so hard. I mean, I watch these young women do it. And I don't, I don't know how they do it. I couldn't have done it. I, I didn't have that much drive. Right. So I had my first child at 17 and I have a friend who Whoa. had her first <laughs> child at 35. I think she, she may have been 32, yeah. but we discussed uh-huh. the differences and how it's a different type of hard 
for every individual because I was 17. I had all the energy. I could chase her around and we played and it was, you know, I had all of that. But financially, I was struggling, you know. And whereas she had her child later, she was financially stable, but she was tired. (laughs) It's harder to chase around. I'm into that. It is you're when you're in your mid 30s and up to 40. A lot of women are having babies in their early 40s. You're exhausted as a working mom. It is really tough. So you know, there's just no perfect time to have a baby when you're a professional woman it just depends on your marriage it depends on your job it depends on what kind of training you're going into and and what kind of work you want to do Law, I, I don't know anything about when lawyers have their babies but med- people going into medicine women going into medicine are having their babies earlier and earlier because they do not want to delay and confront the infertility problem yeah that's something I never thought of not being in the medical. That yeah. would be tough. So you said that you just, you hadn't found the right person and that's why you ended up delaying having kids. Yeah, I fa- I spotted my husband in the ICU at Texas Children's Hospital and and I, uh, I asked somebody, who's that cute brunette <laughs> over there? And they said, oh, you don't want to get involved with him. He's, he's divorced. I said, well, I don't care. <laughs> He's so cute. And so I, uh, I got a friend to set us up and he, he was the perfect match for me. We were a great balance. He was real calm and I was more energized and more driven. And he was a great dad. He loved to cook and I'm a horrible <laughs> cook, horrible. And my kids can count on two hands, the things that I can make for them. So 10 things, that's it. And he did all the cooking. And as our family grew, I did everything else. You know, the pediatrician, the orthodontist, the soccer team, the birthday parties, the teacher gifts, on and on and on. We had a good balance. So we were balanced in our relationship and we were balanced as parents. That's awesome. I was the bad cop. He was the good cop. (laughs) That's awesome. I'm the good cop. Even when I try to be the bad cop, I'm, it's, I'm such a pushover, except when it comes, I have a couple things. I love to cook, but I cook one thing and I don't care if you like it or not. So I'm a bad cop when it comes to food. I'm like, you have to eat it. Not, you know, you don't have to finish your plate or anything. I try to, because I have issues with food stuff. Um, not to force them to eat when they're full, but they right. got to eat their vegetables, even if it's too green beans, Good. you know what I mean? So I can be a bad cop then, right, but for right. the most part, I'm like, uh, come on, Nick, they, they, they've, they've gotten over it. No. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. Well, parenting is never no. easy and women who work, especially professional women do best when they have a partner in the parenting process. I, I don't know of any successful and happy doctors, specialists, subspecialists who do not have a great yes. partner. And I love that you say partner uh, because it's, you can say it's a relationship, a marriage, whatever, but if you are not partners, right. that's, right. that's the key. And, you know, one of my nurse practitioners married a, a pediatrician in our practice about 10 years back. And I was just, so excited and 
interested in how they were going to do. And she, I can't remember which one. One had a baby first with a sperm donor and a couple of years baby later, the other one had a baby by the same sperm donor. And so the boys were, even though there were, there were two moms in the family, the boys were, I had the Mm -hmm. same dad. And I just got the biggest kick out of watching them be parents. It was so fun. It's no different than me and my husband. Everything's a trade-off. He does things better than I do, but not everything. And I do other things better than him. And I'm sure you and your husband or partner are the same way. So, but I can't imagine how a single mom in a professional role could manage without a lot of money, a live-in nanny, a mother to help, uh, you know, I mean, lots of support. I just, I just don't know how you would do it if you didn't have a partner. No, and you hit on it. You said something about you were working longer hours and the people who are having kids younger or sorry, working part-time hours, they're not having the burnout. And I think I I can't imagine being single doing, because I was an EMT, a volunteer EMT just for Uh a couple of years. And I couldn't imagine doing that for an extended period of time without a great partner, because I was getting burnt out just like that, just just in that a little amount of time. Yeah, it depends on the stress level of your job, depends on the number of hours, depends on your team. I mean, if you're a member of a really great team, it's easier to work through stressors. It's easier to talk about a baby that doesn't do well or a patient that you lose. It's easier to process the stress. And different jobs are different. It kind of depends on the specialty and the location of the practice and whether you're in the emergency room or in radiology. I mean, so those two things are totally different, whether you're in oncology or in pediatrics. And so burn. what we know about burnout is that physicians and nurses who work long hours, who become physically exhausted, who become emotionally overwhelmed, and that's usually cases, that's usually the patients, right. the issues with the patients. Those people don't manage their chronic stress as well. They tend to detach from their team members, from their patients. They tend to kind of go off and hide. When I was burned out at age 60, I would go hide in my call room and not do anything unless somebody called me to do something. I mean, you know, after the work was done. So you kind of detach yourself from what you're doing. And then finally, you figure out that you're not making a difference. That's the crucial part of burnout. And so if people are working less hours, if people are controlling their stress, their practice, the the help in their practice, the help at home, they're less likely to get physically overwhelmed. They're much less likely to get emotionally overwhelmed. And there are people around them that can say, are you okay? And so burnout tends to show up as doctors and nurses who are overwhelmed, but kind of back off a little. And the rest of us working around them need to say, are you okay? Not, oh, let her go hide in the call room, but are you okay? Can we have coffee? Can we talk about it? Let's have lunch tomorrow. Let's, 
let's go through what's going on with you. I'm a little worried you seem more stressed than usual. And so what we know about burnout in medical professionals is that it's really tough to get the person who's burned out to admit they feel Mm -hmm. that way, to talk about their feelings, to get help like psychotherapy. Most of us are willing to join peer-related support groups, like nursing has support groups. My daughter is a pediatric ICU nurse, and she has a support group in in her unit, and they talk about the bad cases. They talk about that doctor pissed me Mm -hmm. off, and I don't like that nurse manager, and they have sessions where they say, I can't believe we lost that four-year-old, and so they, they work through the stress. So they're not as likely to get burned out. The pandemic just wrecked havoc on medical professionals, people in the emergency department, people on the front line, like EMT, ambulance drivers, techs, ICU docs, and nurses. They were just bombarded without adequate time to sort through the stress, without adequate staffing. They were all overworked. Nobody was walking around saying, are you okay? There weren't enough beds. Patients were dying. It was the worst possible situation. And that's why the burnout rate went up so precipitously in 2021. Mm -hmm. And a lot of your listeners may be married to people in medicine or maybe in medicine Mm -hmm. themselves. And if they have symptoms of burnout, I implore them to get some help, talk to someone. Burnout is not something you can very easily take care of by yourself. Well, and you're talking about statistics in the medical field, but I interviewed someone a few weeks ago and she has landed herself in the hospital twice due to burnout, due to overworking herself and her body just reacted poorly. So I think that everyone can do themselves harm and burn themselves out. So it may be you or a spouse, even if you're not in medicine. Right. If you're just driven Mm -hmm. and you work more than is physically appropriate and you have a lot of stress put on you, if your job environment does not provide pop-off help, Mm -hmm. Any of us can work in a stressful job environment. If you don't have somebody to go home and talk to, if you don't have a day off, if you don't have a manager that cares how you're doing, those things contribute to burnout, no matter what your profession. Oh, for sure. And you literally wrote a book on this, didn't you? So many babies. (laughs) I wrote a book. Yeah, I wrote a book after I retired about my life in the NICU. As a NICU doctor, I told the stories of maybe eight or 10 special cases, babies that whose parents were very inspiring, people I got to know really well. Some of these kids were in the hospital five and six months. And I wanted folks to know what a special environment the NICU is. It's really hard on parents. The little babies, you know, generally survive and thrive and go home. Survival rates are now way better than they used to be. And the teamwork in the NICU is just a sight to behold. It is something that is so moving. You run down to labor and delivery. You attend the delivery of a set of triplets born at 24 weeks gestation. 
So there are six or eight or nine people at the delivery and two or three people take a baby each and then you stabilize the babies and you rush them back up to the unit and you take care of these babies for days on end and get to know the parents over time. And as the babies recover and thrive, you almost become part of that family. And so I wanted my stories of the NICU to to be accurate about that environment. And then I kind of threw in my own mother stories. I, I faced plenty of challenges with my children, my three kids. They're all young adults now, but I had a child with dyslexia that I didn't know how to deal with. I had a son who was gifted and I didn't know how to deal with that. I had a daughter as a teenager who had an eating disorder, anorexia. Mm -hmm. And by God, that one hit me like a ton of bricks. And I faced a lot of challenges. And maybe my kids are screwed up because I work so much, but they've all turned out fine. <laughs> and I felt like as a mom, as a working mom, I was able to get them the help they needed to be there for them when they needed me. And I wrote the book to reassure other working moms that what we do is really hard. Mm -hmm. Working women who have a full-time job, whether they're married or not, if they're also parents, mothers, they are balancing so many things. They're juggling. They're not balancing. Mm -hmm. They're juggling. I mean, you're throwing something in the air and you're picking something up off the ground. And it is really tough. And we don't think like men do about being a working parent. We worry about every little mm -hmm. thing. Yes gosh, men can just walk out the door and go to work and, and you're still thinking, okay, I forgot about that teacher note. And wow, when is that orthodontist appointment? And gosh, the coach emailed me and I didn't get back to the coach about volleyball and that, oh, and the teacher wants this and the allergy shots are tomorrow. And it just is on and on and on. And my husband would just like go out the door. <laughs> yes, I I have a friend who shared on Facebook. She's like, I was leaving for work. She travels a lot for work. And she's like, I was heading out the door. And someone was like, oh, how do you leave your kids so much? You know? And she's like, it's really fucking hard. <laughs> I just, that, that's that's right. it. It's hard. And she's like, it's, it's really not hard. like all of your responsibilities when you stay at home go away. I still have to deal with that. But the one, right. the really messed up part is her husband never gets asked about that. It's not, ne he's never asked about. No, men don't get asked right. about that. Well, not, not much. And, and if they are, they say, I don't know, my wife takes care of it. You know, I had two partners in the last 10 years, I had two neonatology partners who were married to stay at home husbands. Oh, nice. They each had two kids. And I was like, you know, I'm old fashioned. I'm going, how does that work? And I watched them and the women worked as much as me and the husbands took care of everything at home and they kind of acted like wives. <laughs> you know, they took care of all the kids stuff and they helped the, the, the mother. And it was, it was amazing to watch. So it's not totally gender specific. No. It's parenting role specific. Yes. And I really like that trend of working women being married to men who have the self-esteem to stay home and be dads. Yes. 
husbands and dads. My husband wouldn't have done it. He he didn't like childcare yeah. that much. But uh, the, these two women were married to great guys. Both of them had a career before they had babies. And both of them were great dads. It was remarkable to watch. Yeah. My husband would be, if we could afford it, he would be a stay-at-home dad. Yeah, oh, really? He's, great. He cleans the house. He takes care of kids. He's still... Um, <laughs> He still does most of the cleaning and he does a lot of the kid running around and juggling. So I, yeah, Good. it's, I think it's, you're yes, lucky. yes, I am. That is for sure. You're lucky. You're lucky. Yes. So I just yes. thought of this and it's, it's really bad because we're half, you know, half hour into this podcast. Can you tell us what neonatal, I think, I think I keep pronouncing it wrong. Neonatology. Neonatology is the care of small preterm babies and full-term babies who are sick. 10% of babies that are born are either premature or sick full-term newborns. And a NICU, a neonatal intensive care unit, is a separate unit in the hospital where kids require temperature control and mechanical ventilators and blood pressure monitors and arterial lines and all the stuff, all the lines and tubes that you see in adult ICUs. We use those in babies and it's very intensive. It's just like an ICU for grownups. The pediatric ICU is the same way for children. And so the job is very stressful in that there are lots of procedures. There's lots of emergencies. There are attended, there are emergency deliveries, but the job is also wonderful because it's babies and it's mothers. And new families, and you get to talk about breastfeeding and skin-to-skin care, and you get to see how moms and dads work together, and you get to see the whole family. And sometimes it's quite tragic, but most of the time, it's wonderful. It's rewarding. It's a great place to work. It's I miss being part of the NICU team uh, since I've been retired. And even though it's a a shock and a trauma for parents to have a baby in the NICU. They're generally in good hands because every NICU is staffed by people who are specialists, not regular pediatricians. They're specialists with extra training. Right. And I know most people have probably heard of it, but I was just like, oh my gosh, Dina, you got too excited. You forgot step number one. (laughs) Ah, That's okay. November is prematurity awareness. Oh, is it? So if any of your listeners know a mom that's had a baby in the NICU, give her a pat on the back, give her a big hug, take her lunch. It's hard to have a baby in the NICU. Can you imagine going to the hospital to have a baby and then you're going home by yourself and the kids in the the NICU? And that may be for a week. It may be for a month. It may be for six months. That's hard. That's traumatic. Women who have sick babies in the NICU experience a huge trauma, and most of them do beautifully with support of their partners and their family. Some of them never recover recover from the trauma of having a sick baby. So if you know a mom that's been a NICU mom, be kind to her, please. Yes, two of my best friends have NICU babies. One is 12 and the other is nine. So they're not babies anymore, but I'll definitely text them after this. If you had someone come to you and ask them about entering into your field, what advice would you give them? I would say think about where you want to be at age 40. 
if you want to have a family, then doing ICU medicine, surgery, anything intensive care, anything that's not shift work is going to be hard. And you need to think long and hard about your choice if you also want to spend time with your kids. In retrospect, I probably, I could have chosen a specialty that was not so intensive, but I loved what I did. And so I I really have no regrets. But you have to kind of think of where you're going to be when you're in your 40s, married or have a partnership, have a family. Imagine yourself working your job at that age. Because that gives you some parameters. Am I getting into something I won't be able to handle? That's how you should think of it. You should think of it because it's a career. I mean, we all choose jobs that we hope will last, that most of us, I think listeners on your podcast, are going into careers and trying to make a difference in the world. And so you're not doing that lightly. That doesn't mean you can't have a family, too. You can't have a marriage and a family, but you have to make those decisions very carefully. Yeah, that is fantastic advice. I feel so bad because it seems like you're, you said you don't have regrets that you love the position you went in, but you have so much mom guilt. I feel it radiating off of you. And it's that balance of, because this is your one life. This is my one life. And it's important for us to follow our dreams and our passions and make our difference in the world and balancing bringing up children into adulthood and being there for them, but showing them that they need to be their own selves, but you're there for them. That is so difficult. Right. It is. Mom guilt is something I have battled my whole career. And I decided at about age 45 and my husband helped me with this, that I was something called a good enough mother. And I talk about this in my book quite a bit. What I mean by good enough mother is I had a job that I was really good at. I was very accomplished. I liked it. It was rewarding. And by having that job and that career, it allowed me to feel fulfilled. And when I was home, I was a better mother. So a good enough mother is one that is willing to make the trade-off, but if the job is right for you, if the career works, it makes you a better person, a better mother, a better partner. And I believe that so profoundly. I've seen so many women take that step. And once they figure out that they're really good at being a doctor, they can handle anything their kids throw at them. Maybe they're not at home enough, but they can usually afford a nanny or good childcare. And it kind of depends on, you know, what career you have, but your children do not need you 24 hours a day. Some of your listeners may disagree, but I doubt it since the point of your podcast is women going into male dominated careers. You can be a good enough mother if you have a career you love and also carve out some time for your family. I actually think it's so important when I have goals of being an entrepreneur. And when we started our first business, it pulled from the kids, uh, pulled time away from the kids. And, you know, they participated in it and they also saw less of us. You know, it was we had them involved, but they saw less of us. But Mm -hmm. Them seeing us pursue our dreams has helped them further their push towards their dreams. So it's like there's a reward 
for the loss of time. If I feel like if you do it correctly, you have open communication. You don't just, you know, ditch your kids and never see them again. <laughs> that's, that's not right, good enough. Right. But I feel like right, they right. actually do learn something and moving away from the helicopter mentality and giving them enough space and letting them see you still pursue your dreams actually helps them. Or that's what yes, I tell myself. It does. And they, that's true. They grow up to be independent. Mm-hmm. They, they know how to juggle things. They, my, my 31 year old daughter, my youngest just told me today, well, mom, I know you expect me to make straight A's. I said, look, you're working full time. You're taking a full load in college. She's going back to college. That's good enough. You're doing fine. I do not expect you to make straight A's. You're not trying to get in medical school. She wants to be a psychologist. So she said, really, you think so? I said, yes. I mean, you are, give yourself a pat on the back. You're doing fine. My other two are overachievers (laughs) like me and my husband. And so the third one is like, oh, I should be an overachiever. I said, no, no, you don't have to be. You don't have to be. You can just be average. You could just be good enough. (laughs) So your children do learn from your modeling, how you work, how you parent, how you communicate. They learn from all of that. Which is a little scary, but it it helps too. (laughs) Right. Good. So you've told us your best advice. I'd like to know some of the best advice that you've received. Oh, I've got a great one for you. Learn how to say no. Yes. I mean, no, <laughs> if, yeah, if you can't say no to something someone asks you to do, you are not saying yes to yourself. Mm-hmm. Some of us who plow into male dominated fields are out to prove something. We're, we're out to prove that we're as good as men are, that we're smart, that we're creative, that we're productive. And we tend to take on more than we need to. So learning to say no, you know, the shrinks call it boundaries, but it's really just a simple, I can't do that right now, or let me think about it, or maybe next month, or there, you know, there's some nice vague ways to say no. But the, the important thing is you do not have to do everything in your work. You do have to do everything with your children <laughs> as much as you can. You can't say no to them very much. So that's my biggest piece of advice is learning to say no. Yeah, that's really good. And I will counter, I think it's okay to tell your kids no, sometimes they don't have to go to all the things they don't have to have all the things. (laughs) That's true. Well, we could have a whole session about why not be a helicopter mom. (laughs) Yeah, that is it's bad. It's I've talked about it previously on the podcast, how my theory is that we went from latchkey kids. It's like you never saw your parents and they were locked in the house. And then those kids are like, I'm never doing that with my kids. So then they were constantly on top right. of them. So I think we're trying to find right. that balance of in between currently. Yes. Yeah. Dana, you're right. So my big question for you is, I mean, you're retired now, so we can ask about current, but I also want to know, what did you do for fun when you were working? Oh, and now? when I was working, I would do exercise, play tennis, have girl time, go out to dinner mm-hmm. with friends, couple of friends, because, you know, you never do enough date night when you're working full time. And I like to combine that and see my friends and their husbands with mm-hmm. my husband. I did a lot of needlework. 
I like to sit still and stitch because it's so meditative. I was a runner when I was younger. As I got older, I just exercised yeah. a lot. I do cross stitch. Love cross it. Stitch. I, it's just, I learned when I retired, you'll love this. I taught myself calligraphy. Oh, wow. Another great hobby for somebody to, it's just meditative and exacting and and you know very particular so anything that you can do with your free time that helps you relieve mm -hmm. stress exercise is a biggie getting out in nature is huge hobbies are huge time with friends are so important those are the main things that I stayed yeah. afloat it's awesome to hear that even though you had this super stressful impressive career that you had time for yourself. That's good. A lot of, lot of women don't still. Well, that's part of learning to say no. Yeah. You have to carve out time for yourself. It's hard to do. It's easier said than done, but it's doable. That's awesome. I had such a good conversation, Susan. Is there any last words you wanted to say? I want your listeners to know that on my website, there's a free checklist for burnout in working mothers. If they go to SusanLandersMD.com forward slash burnout, they'll get that free checklist. It's quick and easy, 21 items. And I think it helps women get a sense of whether they're stressed and doing okay or all the way burned out. So I recommend that to your listeners. That is so great. I'll definitely get the link from you and put it in the description for everyone. Thank you so Good. much. And Thanks. my next question was, how could people find you? So they already know you are SusanLandersMD.com, but how else? Right. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Uh, you can buy my book on all online booksellers. And I'll tell you a secret. I'm going to uh, produce a webinar in January for working mm -hmm. mothers. And I have an online course in the works for working mothers. So That's awesome. <laughs> those are my contributions that are coming in the next few months. That's great, Susan. Well, Thanks. thank you so much. I'll definitely link all the places and get your book out there. I already have mine coming. I bought a copy. Oh, well, bless your heart. Good. But I just want to say I appreciate this evening that we spent together so much. And I really hope you have a wonderful night. Thank you, Dina. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you, Susan. You have a good one. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you had as much fun as I did. If you liked this, please rate, review, and subscribe to ensure that you can more easily find me in the future. To continue this and more conversations, you can always find me at d at fragmentors.com. That's D-E-A at fragmentors.com on Instagram and Facebook at Fragmentors. And I also have a Facebook group uh, called Fragmentors where all the ladies with like-minded business sense hang out and enjoy. Thank you again. Bye. We got the right stuff.